Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister responds to Pierre Poilievre's vow to fire the Governor of the Bank of Canada. The fact that um, one of the leading candidates for the Conservative Party of Canada, that the leader of the opposition, seems to profoundly either misunderstand that or not care about the facts at all is uh, somewhat disappointing in an era where we need more responsible leadership, not less. Canada is boosting its role in NATO deterrence efforts in Latvia. In our country and in Europe as a whole, uh, your leadership role is greatly appreciated. Canada's role in strengthening NATO, specifically strengthening the uh, enhanced forward presence in Latvia, but that uh, in turn strengthens the entire uh, eastern flank. So your commitment uh, uh, is highly appreciated. And police are now actively investigating a complaint over the protest where Jugmeet Singh was harassed in Peterborough. I'm not personally surprised by that nor worried by that. I've experienced worse in my life and experienced it regularly. So it's not something for me that gives me, doesn't phase me, doesn't shake me in any way. But I am worried about what that means for politics generally. What that means for people who want to participate and see something like that and then maybe think it's not a place for me. It's Friday, May 13th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. Good morning, Joanna. Good morning, Mark. So we're talking about the Bank of Canada governor in Canadian politics this week because leadership candidate for the Conservatives, uh, Pierre Poilievre, who's a member of Parliament, has said that if he becomes Prime Minister, he'll fire the Bank of Canada governor. Um, and Justin Trudeau yesterday responded to that. So we're starting to have a little debate about the role of the central bank and its current governor. That's right. I have no doubt that Trudeau was eager to respond. Um, he sort of said at the end of his remarks that this was actually something for Conservative Party members to weigh in on, not for him. Um, but of course he did. So the point he was making when asked about it was that the independence of the Bank of Canada from the government of the day is an important principle that brings stability to our banking system and reassures investors. And he says, you know, he went after Polyev saying either he misunderstands this or does not care about the facts at all. It, you know, I, I think it, it was a um, better and more articulate answer than you might remember he gave on the campaign trail last summer. He was asked at the time whether the Bank of Canada's mandate, which at that time was set to expire, needed to change. And Trudeau sort of infamously responded that he didn't think much about mon monetary policy. And I, right. I think the point he was trying to make then was that it is not for a prime minister to weigh in on these things. Um, but I think he made that point in a, in a way that didn't really step in it uh, so much yesterday. So, um, you know, meanwhile, the Bank of Canada, um, it put out a statement responding, which was, which was interesting because... Uh, their their non comment essentially is a comment on its on its own really it says it's not the bank's role to comment on political debates. Um, it reminded people that the governor Tiff Macklin was appointed by the bank's board of directors with the approval of the governor and council for a seven year period, and that term ends uh, in June 2027. So, um, Paul has been talking about the Bank of Canada for a while now throughout his leadership campaign, but really at the debate going that step further and say he would fire him is is I think. Um, quite a big step forward. And, you know, it's not the first time there's been tension between the politicians and the Bank of Canada. There was that infamous spat between the Conservative government and then Prime Minister John Diefenbaker 
and the then Bank of Canada Governor James Coyne, which ultimately led to Coyne's resignation. It was, it was really considered a stain on Ethan Baker's legacy, and it and it led to greater central bank independence. And there was there was tension as well between former Liberal Prime Minister Jean Chrétien and uh, Bank of Canada Governor John Crow in the early 90s as well. So yeah. it's not the first time we've seen this, but it's rare, and when it happens, it is a big deal. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's one of those issues where you you can look at it from a, a factual point of view, from a, a a point of view of you know who has you know the 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 principle of independence for the central bank, um, and but then you can look at it from the point of view that Pierre Polyev is a guy running for his party's leadership. He needs to get people fired up. He needs to get people supporting his mission. And and it's the, the, in that context, the Bank of Canada governor might be a convenient straw man for uh, his his message, which is to take on the elites, to take on the establishment. Right. Exactly. It's, it's very on brand for him. And, and you know, it, it, it helps, of course, that people are, in fact, worried about inflation. And I think it also helps that. The Bank of Canada, much like many other central banks um, around the world, uh, have been criticized for sort of fighting the last war and maybe being a little late to realize that uh, inflation was getting, uh, you know, was rising more quickly than they than they really thought it would. And that's something that Macklin himself has acknowledged and said they misjudged it. And, and so they're going to act forcefully to uh, get back on track. So so those things are, are all true. And it, it is quite convenient for, for Polyev to be uh, making making this point in, in a campaign that is, as you said, largely going after elites, and now the elites have responded. Yeah. All right, let's turn to the news that Canada is boosting its role in Latvia, in NATO deterrence efforts there. Um, there's This obviously is is tied into to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, but it's also an interesting move because a lot there's a lot of scrutiny on how much Canada is contributing to NATO and how much Canada spends on on the military. So uh, put this into context for us. Sure. Well, the promise yesterday was that Canada is going to send six Canadian Armed Forces staff officers and a general to this NATO headquarters in Latvia, where there's already about 700 Canadian troops um, leading a multinational battle group there. But he didn't say anything about whether this would be a permanent expanded presence. And, and in an interview with our Canadian press reporter, Lee Berthun, yesterday, the Latvia, Latvia's Prime Minister, Karinch, actually said that that's something that he, he really wanted. That would be his top ask, that there be an expanded permanent presence for, for Canada and NATO um, in, in Latvia, as well as other Baltic states, Lithuania and Estonia. And, and he was sort of making the argument that this battle group uh, in those countries were, were created in a different context when war with Russia seemed an unlikely scenario and that Moscow's invasion of Ukraine has changed all those calculations. And experts have sort of described these battle groups as, as tripwires, sort of making Russia think twice before launching an attack, because doing so would bring a unified response from all of, all of the NATO military alliance, right? But, but now experts are saying that tripwires aren't enough, that when Russia invaded... Ukraine, um, you know, clearly that that changed something, and and so the Latvian Prime Minister was saying that making this this mission permanent would really send a very clear signal to Moscow. He says that, you know, Moscow has to understand that it's it's not 
suggest that they would be punished for entering Latvia, but they would fail from the first minute, he said. So not from the first week or the first month, but from the very first minute. So, so clearly the, the Operation Reassurance by NATO is, is there to sort of act as a bit of a safeguard and let Russia know that NATO's taking this seriously. But I think there's a lot of unease about um, whether Russia would listen to that. So, so these countries that have been playing this part are, are really asking for, for a bigger presence. And, and like you said, though, um, there is a lot of scrutiny on, on the money that Canada's spending already and, the, and this role in NATO. So I think it was interesting that they, they said they sent a general and six, six officers, um, nowhere near what, what I think Latvia would, would like to see. But I think they're sort of taking these things step by step. All right, finally, Joanna, let's talk about the incident that happened this week when Jagmeet Singh was campaigning uh, in Ontario. There's a provincial election going on in Ontario, of course, and he was at an election campaign stop. He was verbally harassed. Uh, People made obscene gestures at him. He was threatened as he got into his vehicle. Singh said yesterday that this is a level of anger that he hasn't seen before, and of course he's been targeted before, uh, with with har- harassment and um, and so that's noteworthy. The police are investigating, but I think this raised a lot of concerns about the the climate of politics in Canada and the risks associated uh, with it, and and the and the safety of politicians, frankly. Yeah, that's right. Saying you know he really made the point that it doesn't it doesn't phase him, it doesn't shake him. He's he's been dealing with this his whole life as a, as a racialized person, as someone who wears a turban and, and uh, being sort of a, a standout person and even said that, you know, that he, he's, he learned, he has said this before, he's learned martial arts as a way to defend himself. But he was really arguing, you know, that shouldn't be a requirement. You don't, you don't, you shouldn't have to like physically defend yourself to be, to be a politician. And he says that he's, he's worried that, you know, some people might, think that if this is the norm now, then, then they'll think that politics is not a place for me. And he says we might miss out on some really incredible people, he said, who won't come forward and participate in politics if, if that's the reason. So, I mean, we, we've seen this uh, sort of thing against him in particular before when he was on the campaign trail for himself in federal elections um, and even in the, the, something similar when he was campaigning for NDP's leader as well. And, of course, we saw these... Uh, protests, you know, remember gravel being thrown at, at Trudeau on the campaign trail last year as well. So, and there's, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, about polarization of, of politics, and, and we saw that as well in, in Ottawa with the rallies. And, and so I think, you know, he was, he was delivering a message that maybe he's not personally worried, but his staff was worried about him. Um, and he's worried more generally about, about what it means for, for people who, who may take a look at what's going on and say, you know what, that's, that's really not for me. Yeah. All right. Joanna, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much, Mark. You too. That's Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. The Bank of Canada governor has allowed himself to become the ATM machine of this government. And so I would replace him with a new governor who would reinstate our low inflation mandate, protect the purchasing power of our dollar, and honor the working people who earn those dollars. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Heather Schofield argues, Conservatives deserve better than Pierre Poilievre's outrageous ideas about the Bank of Canada. Schofield writes, 
The conservatives' economic agenda is being driven right now by the controversy around Poiliev and his views on the Bank of Canada, inflation, and Bitcoin. This is a culture war within the Conservative Party itself, rather than a contest to see who can best rekindle the economic credentials that stood Conservatives well electorally in the past. The political opportunity for a sensible, growth-oriented Conservative leader with solid ideas about how to reshape Canada's economy will be squandered if Conservatives can't catch their breath after their Poiliev-inspired hyperventilating. At cbc.ca, Aaron Huery argues Conservatives have big things to fight about, whether they want to or not. Huery writes... Hanging over this leadership race are fairly profound questions about what the Conservative Party should stand for and how it should conduct itself, and whether or not the most controversial questions are ever fully confronted in public, the result of this race seems likely to have a major impact on what kind of political force the party will be going forward. This is a debate worth having, not least because the outcome could have a significant effect on Canadian politics. However much anyone enjoys or feels squeamish about intra-party conflict, it's still the substance of the fight that matters more than the spectacle. In the National Post, Jamie Sarkonak argues that Canada doesn't need a law to protect abortion rights. Sarkonak writes, Some Liberals want to bring abortion out of the doctor's office and into Parliament. They shouldn't. Well-intentioned laws can lead to unintended consequences. The Liberal government could table amendments to the Canada Health Act to mandate abortion access, but it would be bait. Common-sense objections to the problems that come with this kind of mandate will be cast as evil, pro-life, anti-feminist, and everything else. And yet, the no-abortion law, status quo, is perfectly fine to most Canadians. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will meet with the Premier of Yukon before taking part in a plaque unveiling ceremony in Ottawa with Her Royal Highness Princess Marguerite of the Netherlands. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will virtually attend question period. Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne will speak about his meetings with his international counterparts and business leaders during his trip to Germany and Belgium and Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson, Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair, and Indigenous Services Minister Patty Haidu will provide an update on federal support measures for this year's wildfire season in Vancouver, British Columbia. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, May 13th. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.